Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football. we got our panel of experts here. got Keely York in the studio, Dan Weber on the line, all of us. We do our jobs over at uscfootball.com. Talking about the team here on the Parastyle Podcast. we got a lot of questions this week. Now that spring football is over, kind of looking forward to the offseason, the summer workouts, some recruiting stuff, and of course, the 2019 season, what are we, 120-something days away, something like that. We'll talk about all that kind of stuff with uh, with you guys here on the Parastyle Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, podcast.uscfootball.com is our email address. Or if you'd like to call or text us, and we got some voicemails for you to play today, you can do that. 424-254-9141 is the number. We do appreciate you calling into the show, writing into the show sending us texts, all that kind of stuff. And especially during the offseason, we want to talk about what you want to hear about during this offseason. There was some breaking news uh, since the last time we talked, and another player in the transfer portals. So we'll talk about that uh, with all these guys. It should be a lot of, it should be a fun show. Keely, thanks for uh, coming in. I know you're a little under the weather. Of course, yes. I'm a little sick. I'll try and keep the sniffling to a minimum. But I'm feeling good otherwise. All right. She's not that good, but glad to be here, Ryan. I gave her her hookup of uh, candy and soda, so I think she'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. And we got uh, Dan Weber on the line. What's up, Dan? How are you? Doing good. And kind of glad I'm here and you guys are in the studio. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to come down, but when Keely's sick, it's yeah, like, you know. I'm quarantined. We, I put up a yeah plastic shield between us. Uh, no. But it's good, yeah. So if you, you know, we need a cough button for Keely too. I know so. we really do. She, you know, usually she's not sick, so this is very rare. Like she's always the peak of health. Are right? you shading me right now? <laughs> Maybe a little. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Sorry, don't kick her when she's down. Um, all right, before we jump into the show, hey, wanted to thank our sponsor Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us over the last couple of years, doing events together, uh, talking on the show about Trader Joe's, and they've. Provided us with a lot of those cool USC bags and a lot of snacks and stuff over the years. Now I, I'm addicted to going there a couple times a week, picking up stuff. Uh, Keely just made, you know, I made my, my wife like text me like, "You got to take care of dinner." So I picked up some some veggies from Trader Joe's. Made a little Greek salad. The uh, the feta cheese, the Trader Joe's brand feta cheese. It's bueno. That's very good. Uh, it's uh, so try to do that. Uh, you know, pick up something to throw on the grill. Uh, but they got it all at Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us, like I said. And if you are near USC, make sure you check out uh, the cool one over uh, at the University Village, USC Village. Uh, it is awesome. It's hard to believe that the students there get to take advantage of that. They can go downstairs from the dorm and walk right into Trader Joe's and buy some snacks or some goodies, whatever you want to get uh, from there. But thanks again to Trader Joe's. Uh, they've been awesome to us. Uh, and awesome to you too, Dan. I know you love them. I love uh, I love the feta cheese. Uh, I'm a big uh, you know they're, they're really good with all kinds of uh, cheese, but uh, that might be my favorite. Uh, so I'm a big feta cheese guy. Yeah, I love the like brie. Like I love soft cheeses, so I'll pick, you'll pick up some crackers and and do that. So uh, you know, 
it's uh it's one of those things. I love I love eating those kind of things. Uh but you know, there's also the the chocolate uh peanut butter cups and stuff. So I try, <laughs> wow. try to get the cheese over the the peanut butter cups, but it's hard to uh do that sometimes. All right, well, we got a lot uh to get to on this show and I guess uh Keely, the first thing is the Breaking news, beep, 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 uh, like they do with the solid verbal. Matt Fink, man, didn't seem like he was going to go anywhere. He has entered the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, Kyle Bonagora, I think, put it in there first. We were able to get confirmation at 24-7 Sports that he is actually in the transfer portal. I think Kyle got some quotes from him, too. Nice things to say about Clay Helton and stuff, but, you know, he he's going to graduate this summer and uh, would have two years of eligibility to play uh, somewhere else. I'll start with you, Keely. Did you, what were your initial thoughts when you, you heard that Matt Fink entered the portal? Not that he's gone, but he's in the portal. I was surprised. I was, I don't think we were expecting it. I know from our camp, it seemed like the ranking was uh, uh, JT Daniels and then Matt Fink and then Jack Sears. So yeah. to hear that he obviously received some news from Clay Helton and Graham Harrell that he was not in said ranking, you know, you have to, you have to, <laughs> assume that he wasn't in a spot that he liked um he did tell kyle that it's not exactly permanent he's going to feel out his options and the timing does make sense as far as he's he could be a grad transfer so he needs to get his name out there and let coaches and programs know that he's available but i just thought it was a little shocking just because it seemed from our perspective from our media pen perspective in spring that fink was doing uh, pretty well so it was a little surprising but you know you you wish Matt Fink the best in that I, I just I thought Matt Fink was always the guy who was comfortable with being being at USC enjoyed being yeah. at USC you know we always talked about okay well what do these guys want from their college eligibility what they have left and to me Matt Fink didn't seem like the guy who was gonna leave USC and try to see uh, where the position where an opening position would be for him outside of USC. So in that sense, it was shocking for me. Yeah. And one of those things, it's like if Matt Fink can transfer, pretty much anybody can transfer. Yeah. I yeah. I, cause I, I would assume that Jack Sears would be the one to leave over Matt Fink. Yeah. In that term. Uh, what about you, Dan? What do you think? Well, I, I think it emphasizes and, uh, in Graham Harrell's offense, the ability to throw the ball on time, anywhere on the field, uh, on target, is really, really important. And as, you know, as good a leader, uh, you know, and great teammate and tough guy and, and really decent athlete and all of those things, uh, you know, if there's one place that, that Matt has that may not, you know, work for him in this offense, it's that ability. You know, you kind of become a little bit of a right-handed team uh, with, you know, with Matt in there. You're probably not going to throw a lot of intermediate range stuff, uh, the the long outs and things like that. So uh, I think where if you said who would you want as the backup if somebody gets hurt this game, you might be thinking it's Matt Fink. But who do you want as the you know the challenger to JT Daniels or, or whatever? Maybe it's you know it's not uh, it's not Matt Fink. There are some things you can coach up and, and think some things you can't. Uh, so, you know, he could go somewhere, for example, we don't know exactly when he's going to graduate. If you don't graduate until sometime in the summer, uh, doesn't give you much time as a quarterback at a new school. But it does, since he has two years of eligibility, you know, he could come in somewhere immediately as a veteran backup. And still, let's say they've got a senior quarterback. 
and then he could be the the you know senior starter the following year or the you know grad grad student you know starter so you know that may play into it uh he just i think he has to you know pick an offense and and pick a school where you know his talents really really fit this you know situation i'm just not sure that they absolutely you know fit the situation as well as he does in so many areas and, and as much as usc certainly loves having him you know as part of the team I'm just not sure you know he fits this offense where you're just going to be predicated on the ability you know to move the ball around and get it where you want it to go and and be accurate uh you just you got to get that done and and that may not have been um you know and as well as he did in spring that may not have been reflected in Graham Harrell's assessment of how the depth chart looked like it might be going to play out uh and I and Keaton Slovis's ability to deliver the ball to a lot of different places that you need it delivered in this offense may have made it a little, you know, more likely that, uh, that the depth chart wasn't going to be, you know, Matt's uh, friend uh, this year. Yeah. Well, it's almost, uh, almost a week ago now. So I think people got used to the fact that uh, Matt Fink's not going to be around. I mean, he could certainly, he could come back. He said the door was still open for that, but most likely you make that decision to go in the transfer portal. It's probably going to stick. Uh, we'll see. Obviously he's a great kid. Wish Matt, I uh, think the very best wherever he ends up and you know, maybe he does come back to USC, but I, I we don't really think that's going to happen. Um, I think that was about it for news. Keely, was there anything else or should we just kind of jump right into questions or anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah, that's it. We can jump in if you want. Yeah, we do that. We're uh, we're going to do our live show again uh, on Wednesday, just to let people know. Tunnel Vision is uh, Wednesday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific time, and we're live on Facebook, we're live on YouTube, and we're live on Periscope. You can go to uscfootball.com. We'll post links to everything up there, but we do our, it's a fun show. Uh, we just kind of chat live. We get live callers, so if you, know, you like calling and leave a voicemail, you can actually talk to us live. On that, so yeah. make sure you check that out. Uh, we've got a lot of callers the last few weeks, so lots it's been good. Lots of callers, good. lots of questions. We yeah. love talking to y'all. It's fun. It is uh, pretty fun, and especially the interaction is important now, Look, just like here, the questions, because it's going to be the offseason. There's not going to be a whole lot of stuff to talk it's about. It's crazy it. that we're already in the offseason. Yeah. It's just, where is time going, Ryan? No, there, graduation's coming up soon, right? May. Or, it's like the second week of May. Okay. So, yeah, once, like, after graduation, it seems like that's when they'll do more, like, summer workouts and stuff yeah, should and start. They're doing, starts. they're doing conditioning and things now. Um, but they like the last couple of years, like they're throwing, they've really de-emphasized that or de-emphasized it with us at least. Like they're not trying to like publicize. It used to be like a big deal. Like they would love people to come out and watch them throw the football around. Now it's more of like a behind closed doors sort of thing. So yeah. yeah. Where do you think Grim Harrell stands on PRPs? That's very interesting. That's a really good question. Yeah. Uh, I think that is the key. We, you know, we haven't had a chance to, you know, talk to him about it. Uh, I would think he's the reps guy. Uh, reps, 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 reps. Can't get enough reps. Uh, and <clears throat> it's basic stuff. And they just keep doing it over and over. So it's built. I mean, basically, this this is an offense that's just built for PRPs. I mean, I, do, I would just think you can't. You can't do too many PRPs, and it's not like it's the end of the world. It's just this is what you do, uh, you know, the way they practice. Uh, so I would think PRPs will be something that, that will happen, uh, uh, you know, very seriously, uh, you know, with, 
with the new offense, especially. I mean, I know people have you know talked about how is USC going to adjust, or you know, it took Mike Leach three years to implement it at, at you know uh, Washington State or whatever. We don't get any sense that there's been a, a lot of hiccups in terms of you know installing this offense. I mean, you talk to coaches like Drev though, and he's pretty much amazed at how. You know, there's a guy, you know, been at the 49ers at Michigan at, you know, Stanford uh, for Jim Harbaugh. And, and like, wow, this thing, this kind of really works when you do it like this. <clears throat> so, uh, so I think, you know, I think summer will be, uh, be important for them just to keep doing it and doing it and doing it so they don't have to think. I think maybe more, well, I guess in different ways. I think it'll be really important for Keaton Slovis because he's a freshman. He's a young kid, uh, hasn't graduated. Oh, I guess he's graduated. He hasn't gone to the prom yet. Uh, the more he gets to work, you know, the better he can make all the throws. And, and uh, you know, so it's good for him. I think for, uh, for Jack Sears, I think the more work he gets in the ability to throw the ball on time, on target, he can't get too much of that. You know, he's not going to, you know, become a, a better athlete as far as working in the, you know, in the summer. And then for JT, I think with him, it's just let it flow. Just throw it. When they're open, just throw it. You know, get it to them. Don't overthink it. Don't try to maybe do all the things that you did in high school and your first year at USC when you're running a pro offense and you're a drop-back quarterback and you got to go through all of your, uh, you know, all, all the rotations, all the stuff that you got to go through. Um, he doesn't have to do that. His job now is to, you know, see what what's there, and get rid of the ball in two and a half seconds. So I think for a lot of reasons, uh, this could be a good summer for everybody. I agree, and I think what we've seen over the last couple of years too, and maybe this is part of the reason why it's become more hush hush with the PRPs. It was sort of like they were running just regular practices where they would go through, and before there was a lot of competition one-on-ones just like the guys going out there being familiar with each other and having fun and just trying to stay sharp this was the last couple of years seemed more of like preparing like what they were supposed to be doing and with you know with Graham Harrell like what would go for PRPs okay receivers go run the grass and quarterbacks throw it to them like that's yeah like that's what it's going to be now so like you don't have to like okay play 17 you know it's like you they're not gonna have to go through sheets like I think it can get back to what the PRPs were when they were fun and competitive because now you don't have all that complexity in there. It's really simplified and they can just go out there and execute and, uh, and do what they can. So if that's what they do, I think that's going to be a very, you know, a positive thing. And maybe it will be a little bit more uh, open again, where they're not like kind of guarded about doing it. It's hard to go backwards, but there's, there's definitely going to be less reason to be more guarded for the PRPs. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, for a, uh baseball fan Keely, it's like what some of the really good hitting coaches used to do. They would say, see the ball, hit the ball. <laughs> Boom. Just like that. And see it, hit it. Let's just do it. You know, don't overthink it. Don't, you know, do all the, no, just see it, hit it, you know, hit it on time, get it out there. And that's what you can do in PRPs. I mean, you don't need a coach there with you. And I think they've done they've done it in practice every single day to the point where they maybe don't need a coach in terms of, well, what do we do? How do we do this? And it obviously helps the, 
you know, have a coach there, but, uh, but it's the kind of thing, the way they've been teaching it, that's very transferable to a player run practice. So, you know, I think they're, I think they're good to go. So you would think, you know, they'll just go out and, and do what they do every day in practice. I mean, they're, they're really good at, at, uh, you know, just staying with it, not trying to reinvent stuff, just, you know, make it work, get perfect. Yeah. Sorry, Ron. I was just gonna say, I don't think it did them any favors to have the scripted PRPs where it was essentially, like you said, Ryan, exactly a practice, but just run by the players. Like, I think there's an element of PRPs where you're supposed to have fun and it's supposed to kind of make it, you know, high school where you're just kind of messing around a little bit yeah. and having fun. Because what happens is then you go straight into fall camp and you're burnt out already because you've done this practice, <laughs> you know, over June and July. And so I think having that fun element, having, you know, you're playing football to play football element in PRPs and reinstituting that, I think that will be helpful for them because the other, I think the opposite didn't do them any favors. Yeah. And then even when you yeah. see them practice, they do that same thing that you would do in PRPs, like the walkthrough thing in the mornings before the practices, you know? So it's like, I think the burnout factor is real there. So yeah, get back to having some, some fun, throw one-on-ones, you know, do, yeah. you know, get competitive out there and be sharp. And then you go into practice and you're ready to go. I think the interesting thing is they're doing a lot of the same things basically every day. <clears throat> and yet they didn't look like they were getting bored doing yeah. it. Yeah. Last fall, they looked bored. Practices weren't much fun. Uh, and yet they basically stuck. I mean, that was Clay's mantra, you know, uh, when he came in and, and finally, you know, put Sam in and they said, we got to, you know, just do it the same way over and over and over again. The kids look bored doing that this year, you know, in the spring, they've done the same thing over and over and over again. They don't look bored at all. Looks like they're having fun. Uh, there's a difference. Uh, and I mean, I like, you know, the direction they've gone in with, with Graham and, and the way this offense is being coached and installed. And I think what it does it does a great deal of good for the defense. I mean, you, you really have to be on your toes. You have to play fast. Uh, you have to compete, uh, or you, you look pretty bad. Uh, so, uh, and, and Clancy talked about that, that, that this offense has really helped their defense, uh, to get ready for what is it? Nine of the teams they play this year or, you know, have maybe not to the extent that USC is doing it, but, uh, they'll give them a lot of the looks that, that USC's offense has given them. And, um, and that's good for the USC defense. So yeah, I think it's, it's really transferable for the PRPs. Should we roll into some questions, Keely? Let's roll into some questions. Michael from Newport Beach says, maybe Dan could speak to the difference between what receiver A and Y mean that I recently saw in the depth chart 2.0. Where do they line up and what is the difference? Also, what are the main alignments that we're going to see with this new offense? Thanks, Michael. You know what? I think he said A, and I'm not even sure where A comes in. I mean, we always were X, Y, and Z. Uh, and we didn't even get to see him do the four wides yet. Uh, they only had five, basically, uh, yeah. plus walk-ons. So they stayed away from the four wide just because there's so much running involved. So we, we pretty much saw the three wides. Although a couple of times, you know, we did see some times where they lined up with, with uh, you know, two running backs that, that takes away one of the, you know, the wide receivers. And we did see the tight ends. I think mostly look like they lined up as H-backs, uh, but that gives them a quick release. And so, you know, if you have Josh Fallow in there, uh, you basically 
and three wides, you basically have four wides because uh, they're giving you a look. And then you've got a, uh, a running back who's, uh, you know, going into some kind of a flare action. So in a way, you know, you're giving them five, uh, five looks. Uh, I think one of the differences is last year when you had the X, Y, Z, you know, you have really set things you were doing with them. And I know there were people who thought, geez, uh, whatever package they came out with, with who was in what, position kind of maybe gave away a little bit of what they were doing. I don't think we see that now. I think we got guys that can all line up and also, you know, they can be the, the wide receiver on the one side. Um, they can be the, you know, the wide receiver on the other side with the slot. Uh, and I think you're going to see Amon Ra in the slot more than anybody, but I don't think it's, you know, certainly not limited to that because they can all run all the positions. And because they run, so, the thing about this offense that, that really, this passing game, is there are so many uh, crossing routes where you have guys that lined up on the other side that all of a sudden, as the play is developing, if you've got time, it's one of those plays where you let everybody, uh, you know, run their routes, all of a sudden you have a late-breaking wide receiver who's got some uh, uh, linebacker chasing him or some safety chasing him. And he's coming, you know, free on the right side when he lined up wide left. That's the stuff we hadn't we hadn't seen before. So I don't know it's going to be, you know, all that terribly helpful to try to differentiate between the X and the Y and the Z and the the H H guy and and all of that. I just think, um, and I, I'm interested in how they're going to line up when they go four wise. Uh, we, you know, again, we haven't seen it. Going to be interesting how how you're going to develop it because you've got two of those four wides are going to be six foot five or six four and six five, and uh, and then you've got one who's six two who can you know jump out of the gym, and then you got Amon Ra. That's going to be an interesting choice if somebody has to figure out well, how am I going to defend each one of those guys, and they're trying to get mismatches on me with those guys, but uh, but I wouldn't be focused like in past years on who's lining up where because they really can run lots of different patterns. And with this uh, team, I don't think you see wide receivers who are limited uh, by where they line up, what pattern they're going to be able to run. I mean, you know, USC's lucky. You could probably make the case that there might not be anybody in the country that has, you know, three and four better wide receivers, uh, you know, coming back. And, uh, they can do an awful lot with them, but uh, but yeah, I think I'd underplay, you know, the whole X Y Z thing. It's just I don't think it 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 applies nearly as much as maybe in past years. Yeah, and there's always different terminology for different <laughs> offenses. You call it different things. I mean, when I haven't heard the A mixed in with like the X Y Z before, but X and X and Z are essentially the way, the outside the the wide receivers, and then. Uh, the Y is like a slot guy and the H right. back, there's things like that. But I wouldn't, like Dan said, I wouldn't uh, get too caught up in some of the terminology. I think there's, uh, there's certainly routes in, in this Graham Harrell offense, but there's adjustments that are made and he wants the players to run where there's no defender. So like running to grass, he wants you to be uh, finding open spaces and you have to be on the same page with the quarterback. So the quarterback's got to see like, if there's a whole bunch of, Defenders over here, that's not where I'm going to throw it. I'm going to go to the other side where there's less defenders. And 
So I know this receiver is going to try to find this open spot, and that's where I'm expecting to throw the ball to. So uh, I feel like it's a lot more of that. He doesn't want it to be super complicated. He wants you know just to be more of catch and throw and and make the make the offense work and putting these athletes in positions to make plays. And I think that's worked pretty well. So uh, yeah, I would agree with what Dan says on that. But that's you know, it's kind of typically what those things are called. I don't know where the A came from or if that's some mm-hmm. different term I just haven't used before. No, I think the other thing is uh, Graham wants you to take what's there. So, and I know this may be a little bit difficult if you think, okay, I really know this pattern and I know the recoveries. And if I wait long enough, this guy is going to be open deep. He don't, and yet you get somebody open fairly quickly. I think with this offense, you'll want to go to the guy that's open right away. And you don't want to be holding, 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 and hoping. Uh, now, I think they're going to uh, put in some, uh, as JT was calling them, the shot plays where you take a shot. Okay, and then, you know, but they didn't do that in the spring. They didn't run any of those shot plays where you're really trying to set somebody up uh, deep. So it would be interesting to see, you know, how that works, who those guys are, uh, and what you know what they do with them, but uh, but I think right now we don't want to overcomplicate it, and, and that's the, obviously the message that keeps getting delivered to JT is uh, you know they run the grass, you hit them with the ball, you know they don't turn around, you hit them, you know in something that runs with grass, uh, and you just you try to get the receivers thinking that if I'm if I've run the grass that ball is coming right now and you want them all. And it's like something, maybe it's not as easy say for Devin Williams to understand that there may be times where he doesn't get covered right away. Uh, he's immediately got to assume the ball's coming to me. And so that might not even be a pattern. That may just be, uh, you know, a completion on alignment where the defense didn't get properly aligned or whatever. So you just take what I think the whole idea is to take what they give you and, and make it impossible for them to cover everybody. We have a question from Eric in Duck Country. He says, Clancy Pendergast has talked about playing fast, simplifying the defense, and rotating more players before. Do you believe him this time? Thanks, Eric. That's a good question. And he knows we keep asking him that. Uh, <laughs> and, and the reason we're asking him that is for the talk last year, it really didn't happen at all. Uh, you know, this, this was, you know, it just it didn't happen. Now, the guys look leaned up a little bit. Uh, they look like they're capable of playing faster. They're a year older. Um, they're really a lot of talk about gap integrity and run fits and, and the kinds of things that, you know, weren't happening uh, if you watch the UCLA game, for example. Uh, so, and he's got more guys, you know, to run in and out of there. So I think that's going to happen. I think we saw them, you know, going in that direction in the spring. I think they made it pretty tough for the offensive, you know, offensive guys to run the ball on them. And they got three pretty good running backs. Uh, and and I don't think it was, uh, you know, the fault of the offensive line that they just got overpowered or whatever. Uh, but... Uh, but I, yeah, I I kind of believe it. Now, is the the issue going to be 
they're you know they're holding their breath on you know good health in the secondary. I mean, they probably have the best top line. Like if you just grade the top five guys or the top four guys in the secondary, it might be the uh, the highest ranked secondary four deep or five deep USC's ever had. Uh, but we're dealing with guys coming off injuries, and uh, does that hold them back? It didn't look like in the spring. I mean, they lost Talanoa. And it didn't look like it caused them to back off at all. And they just, they just kept playing. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think they're moving in that direction. I think, and I think Clancy is sincerely trying to make it simpler so that younger guys can play right away. Younger athletic guys. I think we've seen that with, uh, with Drake Jackson, with, uh, Raylan Goforth, uh, with, you know, some of the guys in the secondary who've gotten a lot of chance because they've had to, uh, but uh, I, I'm yeah, I qualified. Yes, uh, I believe it, even though we haven't seen it in the fall. Uh, I think I think they really are trying to go that direction. It seemed like this spring, Clay made it clear that he directly asked Clancy to to change that up. Whereas before, I feel like it seemed like the narrative was around Clancy doing this on his own. Do you think that changes at all now that you have Clay directly saying that he he's asked Clancy to do that? I think he did before, but I don't think it was so uh, stated so obvious and so often. I think I think Clay I think Clay wanted it to happen that way. I think he kind of hinted that it was going to happen that way and it didn't happen that way. So I think it's, it's a more public uh, statement as to what they're going to do. I think it's, they all agree. And I do think last year, the defensive staff was in different places. They just didn't seem to be on the, on the same page. They, they really, you know, and we didn't see it, you know, being coached up in practice either. Uh, they just looked not sure where they where they needed to be, and uh, it wasn't a good look. I mean, you know, when you give up two straight, you know, two thirty-four zero runs with Texas and Utah, or when you give up however many yards they gave up in the uh, UCLA game, that was just an awful, awful look for a team, you know, with the the talent that USC's got. So. So I think they know they have to, you know, go in that direction. And I think that's Clay's job now for sure is his job is to be the head coach and to enunciate these things really clearly. Whereas last year, you know, he's really so involved with the offense that he might be able to say it once, but it just, you know, was still totally up to Clancy. I think in some ways it's even more up to Clancy now because they are, uh, depending on the coordinators to really be the guys to put everything into into place, but it's also more on Clay to say those things publicly. This is who we are. This is how we're going to play. We all agree on it. We have to do it. We haven't we hadn't heard that as much because as Clay was kind of hands off with the defense. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention at the top of the show. Speaking of the defensive uh, side of the football. Uh, former USC defensive line coach uh, Kenichu Daisy took a job. Uh, he's working for Ed Orgeron again. Uh, he's a defensive analyst for LSU. So uh, going from USC's defensive line coach did not uh, get a job somewhere else as a defensive line coach. He goes as an analyst. I don't know what you 
think of that, Dan. But that, obviously, that was his first uh, full time assistant job was uh, being USC's defensive line coach, and uh, he's uh, going back probably to where he should have started. I guess you could say his career. He's a defensive mm-hmm. analyst. That's interesting because uh, you know uh, we kept hearing things that there were there seemed to be disagreements about how things should be, and and not just with uh, <clears throat> with. Uh, uh, with Clancy, but with uh, Pete Jenkins, who visited practice one day, the uh, D-line coach, the unbelievably well-respected NFL and, and college D-line coach. And we always heard that that it wasn't easy for him to get on the same page with Kanishi either. So, uh, as you say, his first job, uh, it just didn't seem to happen last year. Uh, it just you know, whatever, for whatever reason, and for those of us, you know, that were there when, you know, Kenichi played at USC and to know that story and, uh, you know, how he beat the, uh, you know, the leukemia and the, and the NFL and, you know, was the first team All-American, one of Ed Orgeron's first All-Americans at USC uh, and all the things he did to, you know, lost 75 pounds after coming out of high school and, and, and accomplished so much, you know, you would like to see him, land on his feet. What happened last year, I still don't think everybody knows exactly why that didn't seem to work out. But, uh, but yeah, I think going with Ed, who, where those two are, you know, really know where the other's coming from and, and being an analyst at a program that really does have, uh, you know, terrific, uh, talent on defense, it might be the way then to get your, uh, get your career kind of, you know, kick-started and all that. I think it was interesting he didn't get another, as you say, defensive line coaching job. I thought that, you know, would say probably going the analyst route is is the way to go. Yeah, I mean, if you're USC's defensive line coach, typically, you know, like a San Jose State or someone would hire you after that. You know, not you don't fall all the way down to be an analyst. But that, you know, there have been some criticisms of the way Clay Helton assembled the staff and there's definitely inexperienced people getting jobs for the first time. Not that it doesn't always work out or whatever, but in this case, uh, you know, it didn't. Uh, but I think he can learn a lot from Ed Orgeron, like you said, and uh, build that up. And then you go from LSU defensive analyst to somewhere else to be a defensive line coach. So it's sort of like, you know, maybe it's starting over again for Kenichi if that's the, the path he wants to go down. And maybe you, uh, maybe you know, an opening at LSU. And that wouldn't be a bad place to be a D-line coach. So once they get to know you and they get to, you know, you get to be part of the program and all of that, uh, I think maybe that's also an option, uh, you know, down the road. But uh, but I think it's a good place to be. I'm glad Ed, you know, stepped up and uh, and made that possible for Kenichi. I think that's a really good thing. All right. We got a voicemail from our buddy Curtis. Let me play it for you. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Uh, Ryan, this is for Coach and Dan Weber. Uh, Harvey High picked, um, he basically picked JT Daniel. Uh, he didn't pick the other quarterback because he said, I would pick Jack Sears if I didn't know who was all great in high school, if I didn't know who started last year, if I didn't know anything about any other quarterback, I'd pick Jack Sears. <clears throat> so he basically said he would pick J.T. Daniels. 
to be the starting quarterback because he does know who started last year. He does know who was All-American in high school and all of that. Well, my opinion is that we should let whoever the coach picks be the starter. He could pick Jack Sears because of his uh, athleticism. That's a threat. They can stop our offense if they go two deep safeties with man coverage. That'll take away pretty much everything with, that we do, but it's weak against the run. If you have a quarterback with that one back, we don't have a fullback. If he's a threat to run, more people have to stay home on the read option. If there's, if we do read options, I haven't seen offense. Well, yes, yeah, we fake to the back. So a mobile quarterback is more of a threat. But a person who can make all the throws is a great threat, too. But they need to let JT run. He can run. I saw him in high school. They need to let him do that read option and all other quarterbacks. That has to be a threat, too. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Hey, uh, Curtis. I think, and I think uh, Graham has tried to kind of tell us that running isn't that big a part of his offense. Uh, and his you know, standards for his quarterback. I mean, he said, sure, it'd be nice if a guy could scramble and get a first down every once in a while. But he really tried to tell people who were asking that question again and again that that isn't what this offense does, and that's not what this offense needs. Um, and you would like if, you, you know, maybe you get a Kyler Murray and you think, okay, that's, that's where we have to go. Uh, because we got a you know once in a lifetime athlete, but uh, but even Sam Darnold he wasn't running for first downs. He might occasionally, but uh, but you pick your quarterback for the ability to throw the ball in the right place at the right time and move move the offense down the field. So uh, so I think uh, you know I would not if you read analyses of the USC's quarterback situation. And they fall back on, he's really a good, you know, athlete who can run. See, that may be the person writing that thought, but I don't think it's Graham Harrell's thought. He wants a guy who can deliver the ball on time on target. It's just that simple. And knows where uh, to deliver it. And so, I mean, I look at the situation and think, you have uh, a quarterback who, does a lot of really good things, and he has a year of experience, really hard-earned, tough experience, trying to survive in an offense that really wasn't very good. It would take an awful lot to say that that quarterback, who not only has a quicker release and is more accurate and has a year more of experience, to say he doesn't fit our offense, that would be kind of an upset, I think. But I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, and, and people say, oh, I was at the uh, San Diego club last night. And Graham said again that he's, he doesn't want uh, JT to overthink things. Well, and then he says Jack's really a good athlete. And he said, oh, I think that opens it up. I'll be honest, I read it exactly the opposite. I think what it says is Graham is coaching JT long distance. He's telling us. He's telling boosters, he's telling everybody, I don't want JT to overthink. Because I think, basically, JT, you know, it's his job to lose. And I'm not saying he can't lose it. 
but and I think he obviously wants uh, Jack Graham wants Jack and uh, and and Caden Slovis to work their tails off and really really push uh, JT and he wants to be able to coach uh, you know JT up but uh, but I don't think the running component matters and I don't think uh, you know who's the who's the you know would win the decathlon if if they all lined up and 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 you know and ran the decathlon that's not what he's looking for. I mean, he's looking for. I mean, if you want to look at all the great quarterbacks in history, uh, you know, if you want to go Joe Montana and, and Tom Brady uh, and Peyton Manning, they're not going to win any 40-yard dash, you know, challenges at all. But they delivered the ball to the right place at the right time. That's what this quarterback. Uh, is, that's who's going to be the quarterback. Is the guy that does that the best. And I, you know, I can't. Can't make it any clearer, but yeah. uh, a lot of people love the idea. I mean, the the quarterback who's not starting is always the favorite. Everybody loves that guy who's not out on the field uh, until you win, you know, national championships with that guy out on the field. Then everybody loves him. But uh, uh, I just try to, you know, this is how I'm reading it, and this is how I would think uh, in terms of the quarterback race. Yeah, I agree, Dan. And uh, Curtis, the email was a little disjointed, seemed to like kind of go all over the place. But I don't think Coach Harvey Hyde was saying he likes Jack Sears and he likes his leadership ability. I, he was 100% saying uh, he thinks he should be the starter. Now, none of, none of us here on this panel agree with that assessment, but that's what Coach Harvey Hyde uh, was saying. But if you had gone out and watched any practices or you watched them all and you came away and someone asked you the question like, how important was how the quarterback ran to any play during any practice? And you would have said it was a non-factor. It didn't matter at all. Now, I'm not saying it's not ever going to matter, but from whatever we watched in spring, it did not come into play at all. Yep. Yep. I mean, and occasionally I think if Jack's in, they will run the ball with the quarterback. I don't think that you know, they, they might as well. I mean, you know, and if they're in goal line, and Jack's in, they're going to let him, you know, keep the ball. But they're not running, you know, they're not running a lot of option stuff, uh, you know, to get the, you know, a little bit, keep people honest and all that. But it, it just isn't that big a deal as we kind of see when people are trying to, you know, read the tea leaves. Um, it just isn't. It, it doesn't make that much difference at all. I mean, the, the premium on, uh, you know, quick delivery to the right guy who's open, um, that's the premium. That's what they're looking for. So we have a question um, from Mark from St. Clemente. He says, on the final day of practice, Gerard was substituting for Dan on instant analysis with Keeley, and he seemed really concerned about the offensive line. I was hoping for some significant improvement with Tim Drevino coaching, but Gerard's comments really left me thinking we might be in a replay of 2018. Please say it isn't so. And then he says, Mark from St. Clemente, and by the way, I agree with all of you regarding JT as a starter, even being from Jack and Sam's hometown. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's not so. I mean, I think, uh, uh, <coughs> I, 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 let's say, I guess Tim Drevno said he thought this is the most athletic offensive line he's ever coached. Now, he coached at Stanford when they were pretty good. He coached, he said, he said, uh, not the 49ers. And then he coached at Michigan, who 
you know, they didn't have a lot in some years, you know, on offense, but they always, people thought, you know, they had an offensive line. He likes the offensive line. I mean, you could have four guys, not counting the center, who are basically six, five and a half and about 310 pounds. I mean, it's like, that's exactly what you want now. I mean, that doesn't mean they're all going to, you know, play like, you know, I mean, you know, USC still waiting for somebody like the kid at Washington state, who's going to go maybe the first lineman in the draft. And, you know, every other year, Washington state has a guy like that, that people are saying, where the heck did he come from? And, why is USC not developing those guys? I think there's a chance this year that that happens more. Uh, I like the athleticism of the offensive line. I like it that they uh, feel comfortable that they can, you know, give them the wide splits that, that work with this offense, that they've got the kind of bodies that, uh, you know, that can handle it. Uh, it, it has a different look. Uh, are they going to have to work on the run game? Yeah. And it, 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 it's going to be playing off off the passing game. And uh, I think they worked on it enough. I think Graham believes in it enough uh, that, uh, and I think the running backs are, are good enough that when you get into the, you know, the flow of the game with the way you're going to force people to have to defend the pass, uh, I think they're going to be able to run the ball. So, yeah, I probably uh, don't buy in to, uh, you know, they're not going to have a lot of guys. I mean, we, we really, you know, we really see an offensive line that needs Clayton Bradley to get healthy and Bernard Shermer to get either healthy or get back, uh, uh, that we need, that needs Liam Jimmins to really develop, uh, you know, that moving from defensive lineman, you know, to offensive lineman, and maybe the same for Jacob Daniel, uh, you need those guys to step up and push the the guys that you're seeing on you know on that first uh, on that first line and and we'll see if that happens but uh, I'm not as negative about the you know the offensive line that uh, as as I guess some people are I think they have the they have the physical ability uh, to play with people uh, you know we'll see it's going to be interesting this is an, uh, an interesting challenge for Drevno this is something he hasn't done before and he's learning as we're learning and uh i think he likes you know what he's seeing and he's feeling good about it uh so i wouldn't and i don't think he's just blowing smoke i i i wouldn't you know if i didn't really think that this was the most maybe physically gifted offensive line that he's ever coached i wouldn't say that and he's i don't think he's the kind of guy who would just say that just to be saying it so i think he's seeing something there that i I think they, I think they've got a chance on that on that first level, and if they get pushed a little bit with some competition from the second group, um, I think they've got a chance to be decent. Yeah, I would say uh, Graham Harrell said this too. Depth is probably the biggest issue on the offensive line uh, from last year to this year, and I, I I think the last two years there was pretty talented offensive linemen for USC, but they underperformed, and I think a lot of that was on. Uh, the coaching staff. I do feel this offensive line is going to perform better with Tim Drevno as the coach, even though I don't think it's as talented as what we saw last year. Dad said, you know, there's some athletic guys. There certainly is. Uh, I think there's more, uh, some unproven talent, but the depth isn't really there. But I'm not as worried about the offensive line. I think scheme-wise, it's going to help and be better. But, you know, Chuma Doga is probably going to be the first guy drafted 
from USC later on this week, uh, you know, whatever round he ends up going in. Um, I mean, he's a talented dude. He would he would help this offensive line. But you didn't see the kind of production from him and some of the other guys that I think were talented just because the the, the scheme wasn't very good. And I don't think the coaching was very good. So um, my assessment is not as talented as we've seen the last couple of years, but still pretty talented, not as deep. But I think they'll perform better than what we saw just because of the coaching and the scheme. We have a international question. Oh, nice. Uh, from David Law, who says, greetings from vacation in France, Ooh, where I listened to the recruiting podcast. It made me think of the following. If a kid like Brew McCoy is allowed to transfer and play immediately, why should he also be an initial counter for SC? If we are to pretend that he was never at SC for elig- eligibility reasons, then SC should have the same benefit of pretending he was never at the school. Thoughts? Thanks, David Law. Way, way, way too logical, rational, and fair for the NCAA to come up with that, uh, that reasoning. I mean, uh, yeah, it, you're exactly right. Uh, could not be more correct. And yet you think the NCAA would do that? Uh, think again. <laughs> <coughs> it's yeah. weird. Yeah. So it's weird. USC had 25 scholarships available for 2019, but they'd also had, I think it was four left over from 2018 that you could use. Um, and I think when we asked Clay Helton about this, Dan, it was like Brew McCoy, he still counted, but it counted towards last year's number. But there was still an overall number. And he took one of those spots. Like if he yep. doesn't count, like USC could bring in, and we have I know we have a question on transfers and stuff coming up. Uh, you could bring in one more guy initially, uh, even though USC is under the 85. He took one of those spots, is, is my understanding, unless something had changed. But yeah, even though if you said, well, he counted toward the 2018 one, if he didn't, someone else could come in and count towards the 2018 one. So he till, still took one of those spots. Right, yeah, it, it's not fair. It's kind of the kind of thing that I don't even think the NCAA's figured this all out yet. You know, they tried to, well, let's, you know, give guys more freedom and more autonomy. If they want to leave, they can leave. And, and then, well, let's be lenient if there's a reason to let them have eligibility right away. Let's let them do that. And yet... You know, somebody gets holding the bag, and I, I do think players ought to have as much freedom as you can possibly have. But then maybe, uh, and I don't want teams and coaches to be able to hold guys in place uh, against their will, obviously. But uh, but then you you know the schools ought to get the same kind of fair treatment if you're bending over backwards, uh, you know, to give kids a chance to you know find where they should be and where they want to be. Uh, I think you should give that same kind of, you know, deference to the schools to make them whole if that happens. And of course, the NCA doesn't do that. No. And so, you know, I mean, when you see some of the things, you know, we can get all, you know, upset with uh, with the NCA, you know, but I mean, you don't even want to spend much time looking at like recent decisions of the NCA, and you just, you know, end up banging your head uh, because of, you know. They're not going to be fair, and they are kind of institutional. I mean, you know, at least uh, recently they they voted down a proposal that was going to say uh, if a kid's a graduate transfer, he takes a slot for two years, and the only way you can open up a slot uh, for the second year is if he graduates. So basically – uh, it was a move to try to limit graduate transfers. So kids graduated, and they were still trying to limit 
his ability to transfer because they were trying to tell schools that if one of those guys comes your way, you're going to have to lock up a scholarship for two years, whether you need to or not. Uh, and then if he graduates, you'll get one of those years back, knowing that that would keep people from accepting graduate transfers. Uh, that's not the spirit of, of the way things should be. At least that got voted down. But uh, there's a kind of an institutional bias in the NCAA that, that, that tends to work against, uh, against the individual players, although in this case, uh, it's going to work against USC. Yeah. And that's, again, that's not new. No. It's a, and so just so you know, football is a headcount sport, meaning like, once you count, you count. Um, now, Brew McCoy was not in, uh, you know, come like August. So I don't think he's, in my understanding, Dan, is he's not going to count towards the overall number for USC, which doesn't yeah. really matter for the 2019 season. He actually right. would count for last year, but the, he still has to be an initial counter is my understanding. So he took one of those spots that someone else that they could have brought in as a transfer or whatever uh, could have got. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And speaking of transfers, we have a transfer question, as you mentioned, Ryan. Stephen Poway says, have you heard any information on the transfer portal of students transferring into USC? It seems all we hear is news of students, like Matt Fink, trying to transfer out of USC, but very little about students transferring in. Thank you and fight on. You know, we've you've heard a couple. I mean, uh, the, the linemen from Tennessee. Uh, I'm trying to think, Ryan. Is there, have, have we had any other visitors that uh, well, the, follow? The running back from Oregon, uh, blank, is it Taj Griffin? Like, what's his name? Not Is that it? Um, there's a couple that have been mentioned, but I feel there's only one spot open, and you got the five-star yeah. quarterback Ricks from uh, Modern Day who could reclassify like JT Daniels. So that's the thing where they might, if, if they would have a chance at like, say, two of those three guys, there's really only a spot, my understanding, only a spot yeah. for one of them. So if if Brew McCoy didn't count as an initial counter, then you could have brought in two. But there's a couple of names that come up, Steve, but it's all been transferring out, not really in. There's a chance that you could still bring in one, but I think there's only the spot for one. But, but it does make you wonder, if USC has eight guys, is it eight in the transfer portal? No, it's, has a, it's like 10, I think. Is it 10 now? Uh, Let me look. But think about this. USC has 10 transferring out, maybe, and he has only one scholarship available Yeah. for somebody coming in. If the rest of the country is even close to that, there are going to be a lot of guys in the transfer portal for a long time. It's going to be like transfer purgatory Yeah. because they're not getting out. I mean, where are they going to go? I mean, if all those guys wanted to come back to USC, they could take one of them. Right. It's uh <laughs> so I don't know that they figured out the end game. I mean, if you end up in the summer and you've got, you know, a thousand guys that don't have scholarships or anywhere to go, how do they resolve that? Yeah, they go to go down a division or something like that. Um so right now, so we have on twenty four seven sports, we have our own version of the transfer portal because we have access people of some of the reporters in our network have access to see it. So we, we keep a database of everybody that's in there. There's 11 guys listed uh, for USC right now. One of them's Holden Thomas, who's a former, uh, he was a walk on, but they don't put Brew McCoy in there. And that's more of a database thing because 
if they put him in there, it's hard. You know, it's, it's just the way we do our databases. But Brew McCoy really was at USC and is in the transfer portal. You know, transfer portal went to Texas. So there's really 11 that are in the portal scholarship players. Um, right now, Matt Fink does not have a destination. Uh, Trayvon Sidney's going to Illinois. Josh Metorbebe doesn't have an estimation, uh, destination. Randall Grimes has Minnesota. Uh, Velas Jones, who took an official visit to Auburn this past weekend, no decision there. Um, Levi Jones is going to North Carolina State. Uh, Wally Batiku, uh, he's going to Illinois. Bubba Bolden, Miami. Uh, uh, Akili Ross, um, he's uh, doesn't have a destination. And then Greg Johnson w- entered the portal but came back. So, and anyone that you know, say Akili Ross wanted to come back. He wouldn't be an initial counter. So USC could bring any of its own players back. It's just bringing in somebody new, that would be another initial counter. So I guess it's really 10 because Greg Johnson's not in it anymore. Um, but Brew McCoy does still count for that because he was in, you know, in the transfer portal. But then, you know, you've only got one spot. That's the amazing. Yeah. USC is a team that has some serious depth issues, at, as we talked about in the secondary and offensive line and wide receivers. And yet they've got one scholarship available. So uh, the math is kind of tricky working this math out. Uh, if you're one of those kids in the transfer portal, uh, if you're still in there and, you know, don't have a, you know, a destination now that most of the you know, teams are through uh, both uh, spring practice and, and their, uh, and their recruiting, obviously. Um, I would think some of those people might be getting a little nervous about, where this how this is going to play out yeah uh speaking of well this this player is not in the transfer portal but we do have a voicemail question about someone that uh, we just haven't seen well, i'm kind of curious why he's not in the transfer portal but here's a question for you hey ryan it's mark friedlander from cincinnati ohio and my question is what happens if daniel Bebe does not play his senior season do you see him getting drafted into the NFL. Thank you. Well, you wouldn't think so. That would be almost three years. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously we saw Jordan Simmons not too long ago, and he didn't play a whole lot more than, uh, uh, you know, than Daniel has. I'm not sure he played any more. And he's starting for the, what, the Raiders now? Or Seahawks? I'm trying to think, where the heck did he end up? I think he's like a you know, going to be a starter, they think, this year. Uh, so you never want to say it's impossible, but you would think this is the year that either he's able to come back or you would think there might be, if he can't come back this year, there might be a medical retirement, you know, in the works, you would think. I mean, we just haven't, we just haven't seen him. Uh, you know, it's one of those weird deals that, that nobody seems to have an answer for. And, you know, what a shame, because obviously he could play in the NFL, uh, you know, with his strength and his speed and, uh, you know, kind of a hybrid guy that, you know, can block people and, and get downfield and catch the ball. Uh, he would be interesting, too, if, if Daniel could come back like the Daniel, you know, that played, as we remember, let's say, the Washington game in Seattle. If that Daniel could come back in this offense, that Daniel would be really difficult for people. I mean, he's like a walking mismatch, uh, period. And then you put him in this offense. But uh, I, I just don't think, 
I don't think anybody knows enough to, to try to predict that one. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a mystery. It really, really a mystery. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's just one of those, sometimes you run into things medically that you just don't have a good answer for. We have a question from Dan, class of 1962. He says, have you read the Washington Post story about the resignation of Hall of Fame women's basketball coach at the University of North Carolina? An independent investigation pointed out that the conduct towards her players by um, by making them play when injured, ridiculing them in front of the team and parents, as well as making racially insensitive remarks over a period of, of at least five years before the coach's res- resignation today. Hmm. Who was the president of UNC during those five years? And where was the oversight from the president and athletic director? Does this president sound familiar? And does the lack of oversight sound familiar to USC students and alumni, as well as fans? What can we spe- expect from our new president when faced with oversight of our athletics program? Fight on. Dan, class of 1962. Well, you got to have a good athletic director. I think he's got to have his, you know, finger on the pulse. And I do think, and I, and I hopefully don't sound, you know, sexist or anything here, but I think it is a little bit hard at times um, when you have, like at USC, you had, you know, the senior associate women's athletic director was Donna Heinel, and whatever was going on with the basketball coach at North Carolina there may be places where administrators just feel, I just don't want to go there, that it won't look right. And, you know, I would, that, the North Carolina case isn't the only one where, you know, you see an out-of-control coach. And I think the, the thing with the men coaches, it's easier maybe to go in there and just toss them out because, you know, and it happens, absolutely. Uh, but you won't get charged with, you know, uh, sexist, you know, uh, behavior if you throw a male coach out. Where, where maybe for some of the administrators and, and some, you know, programs, it's just easier to turn your head and and hope it's not what it might be. And and that may be what was going on at at, at North Carolina. Uh, again, I don't think you want the president. Uh, you know, involved in things like that, but you want the president to be able to really depend on that next level down. And like at USC, the athletic director reports directly to the president. You have to have an athletic director that you trust, knows what's going on, and will give you the straight story. And if you have to make a decision, you make a decision based on really good information and you know, a sense of, uh, you know, what's best for everybody involved here. And, uh, and a lot of times maybe uh, what's best for the student athlete isn't always, uh, you know, a top consideration. So, uh, so I think, yeah, I mean, you know, was that something you should have considered or were there other things at North Carolina? Yeah, absolutely. Every president I think is, is, is in a, you know, it's not an easy job. I don't, I think right now. Uh, but, um, and I think they, they knew what they wanted in the president, and I think she, you know, Carol Folt came off as the uh, the personality and the kind of person that they wanted uh, at USC right now. Uh, how all those other things come into play, um, and that's where you know I think the focus is on on say Lin Swan in terms of you know having your your you know sense of exactly what's going on in the athletic department and what need you know what's possible 
and what needs to happen and how you how you have to approach these different things and uh, uh but yeah that, that the north carolina thing illustrates i mean i just think look at all the things that she had to go through at north carolina i mean they've had you know football issues and had to get rid of a football coach they had the whole academic you talk about usc in the uh, admissions scam uh i'm not even close to the you know it might get more publicity right now because of the you got actors and lots of money but uh involved but uh but what happened at north carolina and it happened before uh, uh carol fault was the uh, president but you know the four years or so that it took them to get through it uh of the just completely phonied up uh whole department and and course you know, courses for thousands of students who, you know, were, were basically just given grades. Uh, that really reaches to the heart of a university. And, uh, and they lost their academic accreditation for at least a year, I believe, uh, when they basically said, hey, NCAA, you can't say anything to us about academics uh, because it, not only was it a phonied-up department for athletes, it was a phonied-up department with phonied-up classes for everybody, we had no academic standards, and the NCA went, "Oh gosh, yeah, you're right." You know, they got away with it. Yeah, good strategy. Congratulations. But uh, you know, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of issues out there, and you're probably not going to find a president uh, anywhere in the country who hasn't had to deal with us. But uh, man, you better have good people underneath you who you can trust. They're going to give you the straight story and they're not going to try to bury stuff so that you can say, uh, you're going to give it your best shot. You're not going to let it go for five years or 10 years or however many years they let the, you know, the doctor go in the student health service. You gotta, you gotta respond to some of these things and, uh, and we'll see. I think I like it that she's been through some of this and, and has had experience in, all of the things, the pitfalls and all of the tough stuff that, that happens. And, uh, I think that's a plus for her, but we'll see. We have a question from Steve Sutter who says if, and when Lynn Swan retires or is fired as athletic director, who would be a possible replacement? My recommendation, current NC athletic director or Andrew Luck's father. What do you think, Steve? I know Andrew Luck's father, really gets a i'm just not i'm not sure he's a name and he's you know here there and, and everywhere i'm i'm not sure that 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 does it for me i think i i, I saw the uh we all like the northwestern athletic director i mean they've they've got the best facilities in the big 10 which is almost impossible to imagine like 270 million dollars worth of new facilities on on campus there uh, but he's also in the running uh, to be the next commissioner of the of the Big Ten uh, to replace Jim Jim Delaney. So so I think he's really really good. Uh, but uh, you know, you mentioned we mentioned just mentioned the North Carolina case. I mean, I always thought that you know you had to if you were uh, Carol Folt, you had to take a look at Bubba Cunningham, who was your athletic director who got you through some you know, tough things at, at North Carolina. He's a Notre Dame graduate, you know, 15 years he worked in the, you know, athletic department at Notre Dame. He would be kind of a, you know, you got a big time uh, private school 
uh, linked at the hip since the 20s with USC. You would think you would you would take a look, you know, in that direction. I would have thought they would have taken a look in the direction of the uh, Arizona AD, uh, uh, Greg Byrne, I guess, uh, who's now the AD at Alabama, and I think was very close to getting the USC job at one time. Uh, but I think professionals who've proven themselves in this very competitive business and bring somebody in like that who understands what you have to do and how you have to do it. I think USC, not only do they have to get USC squared away, USC has to become the leader in the Pac-12. USC, the Pac-12 needs somebody to be the leader. And I think the logical choice and the logical candidate over all the years has been USC. I think USC has to, uh, you know, restore itself to that position where, where USC just isn't one of the, you know, the followers and sitting back in the Pac-12, but where USC, uh, you know, takes a, a leadership role. We haven't seen that in years. And, uh, so, but, uh, as far as names, uh, you know, I just like guys who've proven they can do it, uh, and as athletic directors in this right. very, difficult uh, business that we're, you know, that USC's, it's really competitive. And I don't know that USC people right now think it's really competitive. I don't see that, you know, feeling of, we got to go out there. We got to have better ideas. We got to work harder. We got to do this. I don't, you know, I think they just, it's like, we got to keep our heads down. This is a really cool place to work. And we're USC. Did you know we're USC? Yeah, we're USC. No, <laughs> that's not what USC needs. No, Steven, I agree. Uh, it, you know, this is, I don't know when it's going to come to an end, but it's three former football players in a row is too much. Uh, like, like Dan said, we had heard Greg Byrne from Arizona was interested and USC could have hired him. He goes to Alabama and USC gets Lynn Swan. So that just, that's the kind of decision-making you're talking about, where instead of going out and getting the experienced guy, you go out and get the guy you know who's going to be the face of the program. That has to stop. So I don't, I mean, I haven't looked a lot of, uh, you know, candidates lately. You're talking about Oliver Luck, who's, he's the CEO of the XFL, and that's starting up in 2020, I think, or whatever. So I, I wouldn't think that he's going to leave something like that. Um, you know, but, you know, Bubba Cunningham, someone Dan already mentioned, for me, you just got to follow my rules. If you just follow my rules, everyone would be fine. <laughs> One, he has to be good at the job you're going to hire him for. So that means he has to have been, an or she, an athletic director. So someone that's an athletic director that's running a big sports program and has had success. That's not that hard, right? Find someone that's doing that. Two, don't know the fight song. So they can't have USC ties. So that if, you, if, you, if USC followed those rules for the past decade, I can't even tell you, like, they'd probably have a couple of national championships in football. That, I mean, everything, all that stuff would be better. But USC doesn't hire that way. So you have to completely reverse the thinking and pretty much do exactly the opposite of what USC has been doing lately. No question. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, I, I think the thing that we see missing is the idea that you have to compete. And, and the one place USC is competing is, <clears throat> they're probably paying their athletic directors more than anybody in the country. And, and, and you don't know, you know, for what purpose, uh, what are you getting out of that, uh, out of that, you know, kind of expenditure. And it doesn't make any sense. And 
when you say, I know this guy, I have no idea if he can do this job, but I know who he is. No, it's got to be the other way around. I know he can do this job. He's done it. Uh, I mean, you know, how many guys who are athletic directors in the Pac-12 would just love to come to USC and say, man, if I could have access to what they've got access to. I mean, if you're, you know, sitting at the University of Arizona, you think, whoa, what could I do at, at USC? That's who you're looking for, that guy. Or, or the guy at Northwestern who says, man, look what we've done here at Northwestern. What could we do at USC? But always with that, what could we do? What can we do? How do we get this done? And, I mean, the idea that USC for two straight years couldn't figure out how to get a place to play their spring game or how to play a spring game. I mean, that's how do you not <coughs> have a deal going with the LA football club stadium that you could use that stadium? I mean, come on, did they really sign an agreement to let them have all that property take up all that space without a deal where USC could use that stadium when they needed it? I mean, come on, that's terrible. You can't have those things fall through the cracks because I'm guessing you know USC probably could have told the LA football club if we let you build a stadium here we're really going to need you to have a, give us some access to it if we need it just things like that you know just you know what do you do to and then work real hard to sell tickets and and promote it and have fun with it and all that and it, it, it just often seems like that part of it they just you know they just let go through the cracks. Just the idea that, uh, you know, the city section semifinals that were played always at, you know, Dado Field or for recent years, and that they raised the rent from $2,000 to $19,000 or whatever. And, uh, you know, city section schools walked away from USC. That's not a good look. You know, USC can say, oh, the rules changed, or it's not the athletic department, somebody else is doing it, or we need no, 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 no. The athletic department has to have uh, a position there, and they can't let people who are not in athletics be turning people away from being on campus uh, and and creating some, you know, uh, unsatisfied, you know, people in the community. I mean, it's a community event that USC should want to have on the field. And you can't just say, oh, well, you know, somebody else on campus made a decision, nothing we can do. No, get involved. And, you know, too much of that has happened. Yeah, one of the most disturbing things, and and I've thought about this a lot, but this really never occurred to me until, Dan, what you were just saying. You know, we look at the Pac-12, and Larry Scott is the highest paid commissioner and the lowest performing. So it's, it's, and I, we've seen this with USC, the past couple of athletic directors, they have the highest paid athletic director in the country. Most likely, certainly with Pat Hayden, I'm, I'm Lynn Swan's probably close if he's not the top and the worst performing. And you wonder like, so when you went out and got the inexperienced guy, why shouldn't you get that guy at a bargain, not pay them the most money that anyone's ever paid an athletic director before, like Pat Hayden, and I think it was USC just wanted to get their people so badly. And those people were like, yeah, I don't, that's not really the job for me. You had to like pay them a lot more money to, to justify your horrible decision. Instead of just going out and getting, you could have got David Byrne for like half of what you got 
Pat Hayden for, you know, someone that's way better and cheaper. But you wanted your former USC football player so bad that you had to pay them more money. Uh, it's just baffling to me. The decisions that were made were horrible and on a number of levels because there were horrible decisions for personnel-wise, but then you had to pay them a lot more money just to convince them to take the job. It's like baffling to me. Yeah, because it was always, I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know. It's a, you know that's going to be, people are not going to be happy. So you had to convince them by up in the ante. It was like, this is insane. But uh, I don't think it'll happen again. I don't think it'll ever happen again. <laughs> never say we'll never. <laughs> so we have one final question from Dan, class of 1962. He says, now that spring football is finished and the basketball season has ended, can you discuss the strengths and weaknesses of the spring sports? USC could possibly earn NCAA championships in women's track and field, beach volleyball, women's and men's golf, and women's water polo. Men's volleyball has improved greatly as well. What do all these sports have in common? great coaching. The greatest loss from the mission scandal was the firing of Jovan Vavik, the best water polo coach in the country, I would argue, ever. That's me jumping in. The exception is baseball, one of the traditional winning sports at USC. Please give us your assessment of the baseball program and kudos to the other spring sports. Fight on, Dan. Well, you got to give baseball credit. I mean, it looked like they were taking the, you know, absolute, you know, they looked like the angels there for a while. And then all of a sudden, uh, they're really fighting back. Yeah, there. come on, Dan. <laughs> hey, for us Orange County people, and one of us who actually covered the Angels for a number of years, uh, I don't even know who they are. So anyway, that's. Uh, but USC baseball, I I give them a lot of credit. They're fighting back, uh, and yet I will never agree that USC baseball ever could. I mean, it's USC baseball is the most distinguished baseball program historically, and you know, in the NCAA. And yet, because there are so many great programs in uh, Southern California where you can be seeing, you know, everyone, every guy that plays uh, college baseball thinks they're going to go to the major leagues. Uh, there's no advantage to playing at USC over anybody else. It's all disadvantage. Uh, the history doesn't matter at all. Uh, but the tuition does, and you know the fact that the, you're allowed to have what 11, 11 and a half scholarships, whatever it is, and you need about thirty or thirty-five players. Baseball is screwed. So you're, and they are allowed to divide up scholarships. So you're way better off if you you know want to be seen and maybe want to go to the college. I mean, you can go to the College World Series uh, from uh, UC Irvine, from UCLA, from Cal State Fullerton. Uh, you know. Long Beach State, you could, you know, at least four. Uh, probably you could almost include Pepperdine there. Uh, it's way more difficult for USC baseball to, you know, to really compete. Uh, you just don't have enough, uh, you know, have enough scholarships. And uh, the cost of tuition at USC is just so high, and there's no advantage to going to USC. Uh, so, so I think they're doing as well as they can. Uh, I'm glad they kind of righted themselves and, uh, and are, are moving in the right direction. And the rest of the sports, basically, they are still, you know, part of that USC tradition. You know, that, that Carol Smith, you know, Gilbert does an unbelievable job with track. And it's, it's difficult. Again, they don't have enough scholarships. When you go to, a, like, the men's track meet with UCLA, UCLA's got like 
three times as many bodies. And USC you know, still has a chance to, you know, to win and will do much better when they get to the Nationals because you know, it's just not a, a dual eight. And they look like they've got a heck of a shot to win the women this year. And the, the men, what they jump up uh, 28 spots or something this last week to, uh, you know, top 10. So, you know, and they've got athletes that are really interesting. Uh, you watch Michael Norman, who, you know, turned pro, but still training with them and, and, and ran, the, you know, the fastest, you know, 400 in the, in the world last week. And uh, just you know, a lot of special special athletes in, in, in so many sports. And that's, they're, they're in sports where USC has had a historical advantage and they've kept it. Uh, and they just said, you know, the, the other difference though is maybe other programs don't compete quite as hard as they do in football and basketball. Football and basketball really, really matter uh, you know, to a lot, of, a lot of schools that spend a lot of money. I'm not sure the rest of them, maybe it more depends on, you know, how good is your coach? How much tradition do you have? Are there enough scholarships in that sport uh, so that USC's tuition doesn't really work against you? And uh, you got to give them credit that, you know, where a coach has the, the ability to compete at USC, they're mostly competing and, uh, and, and, you know, good for them. Uh, but uh you wish that was able to, you know, be transferred to the whole program, the whole department. And, uh, but it's, it's a bright spot. There's no question about it. And yet the sports that USC spends the most money on, uh, certainly with football has the most tradition, uh, are the sports and, and that's where there's the most competition and you've got to do the most things right are the sports where they haven't seemed to figure out how to do that. Now is basketball because it's going to, you know, the whole recruiting profile changes for next year. Are they going to be able to coach them up and all of that? I'm seeing now people are saying, you know, the USC might be top 25 next year. And, you know, uh, John Wilner, I think, picked them to go to the, you know, Sweet 16. We'll see. Uh, but um, but good, good for the spring sports. Uh, they're uh, Now that baseball has looked like they turned a the corner, uh, you know, they're, they're a bright spot. And, uh, and good for them. I don't know about baseball turning a quarter, Dan. Uh, they're 17, 20, and 1. Uh, they did win a series think, against Arizona State. 10, I think they were 10 and 17. So, to me, they're coming 17, back, yeah. 20, they're, they're, they're better. I mean, I thought 10 and 17, where is this going? And then they knocked off Arizona State a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, think the problem was... Like uh, yeah. uh, Chuckon was talking about it, they went on the road to play Utah, and he's like, "That's a series they should sweep," and they lost the series. It was like they won one and lost two. Um, so I guess Utah was pretty terrible. I'm not following college baseball, but it doesn't. Uh, you know, they still got Oregon State series. You know, there's. I don't know if this team's going to be able to finish above 500, and then for the first time since like 1950 or something, right? You have. Losing, all three. yeah, all three: baseball, basketball, and football, all with losing records. But it's—I think they've made some sort of comeback. But that Utah series, at least from what Shotgun was saying, that's one they should have swept, and they—they they lost the series. I think the snow threw them off. <laughs> <laughs> was there snow? I don't even know, but I just remember there him might have been, saying that there might have been some snow involved. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, I remember. But yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it, it's like. 
it's not the greatest uh, uh, praise when you say, "Hey, we're not still ten and 17. <laughs> you know, okay, you're not. True. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't. They, uh, you wouldn't want to be out there uh, trying to handicap their games. That's uh, that's for sure. But there's traditional programs that are scholarship uh, limited, like you mentioned, baseball and track. Where uh, on the podcast of champions, they were asking like, what's USC's most famous, you know, what we're, the question was about the, the, the biggest Olympic sports or non, you know, super revenue sports for each school. We asked the publishers from all the different, um, uh, con, you know, from all the different programs and for USC, you know, that probably the most or close to the most in track, they won a lot, but that was a long time ago. Certainly the most national championships in baseball than anybody. Um, you know, you look at water polo, just what you've been able to do the last couple of decades, like those would all be, uh, candidates, you know, water polo, you can get in people, but like with track and baseball, it's hard at a private institution. That's one of the most expensive in the country. I, I think with the, the big endowment that USC's built up, could they do something like what Stanford does? And if you're under a certain income, you have, you're, you're going to school for free. So it's almost like these free scholarships for, all these different Stanford sports, uh, based on that. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that's how that works. Uh, yeah, you're correct. I mean, and Stanford has like 30 sports. USC's got 21, <clears throat> but their endowment, their endowment is so much, uh, more than USC's. I mean, it, it, I don't know if it's five or six times, you know, where if USC's got 5 million or 5 billion or whatever and Stanford's 30, I mean, I, I'm totally just pulling numbers out of the, out of the air. But, uh, but Stanford just has the, uh, enough endowment that if your family makes under $100,000 a year, basically uh, you will not have to pay tuition at Stanford. So any, and since it applies to all students, that means all athletes. So they have the ability to get athletes in at Stanford, uh, you know, on full scholarships, basically, if their family makes under $100,000 a year. USC is so far from being able to do that. I mean, it's a tremendous edge, you know, for Stanford. It's why they win the, uh, you know, the all sports, uh, whatever that, uh, I can't think of that war all, you know, who, who sponsors it, but, uh, that all space, all sports award every year, Stanford wins it. They basically have, you know, more going for them. They can recruit more kids, uh, than the limited scholarships allow them to. So, you know, you know, where Stanford might have 25 baseball players on scholarship or 30, and USC have you know 11 full scholarships. It's just it's it's a much more difficult thing uh, for USC to do, and it's the one area I think. And the other part of that uh, equation is Stanford has a much smaller undergraduate student body, so you don't have to provide as many overall dollars uh, for the student body. Than, than you would at USC because there are so many more uh, uh, undergraduate uh, students. So it's a, it's a really tough deal for USC. But, yeah, if USC had the same deal as Stanford where every kid, you know, undergraduate who, uh, you know, his family makes under $100,000, the composition of the rosters in a lot of those sports would look really different. But, uh, that, you know. That's not going to happen, probably. No, yeah, that makes sense. Looks like Stanford's endowment's twenty six and a half billion, and USC's five and a half. Um, but wow, I wasn't that far off. No, okay. yeah, USC yeah. raised though like 
six billion dollars just in the last. So I think they've bumped up the endowment. Some of that goes to the endowment. Some of that's yeah. going to endowment. Some of it's going to scholarships, that kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, Stanford's in another league, and then they have far fewer students, undergrads, yeah. to distribute that to as opposed to USC. Who and there are people who argue, oh, USC shouldn't have gone to uh, you know such a larger undergraduate student body. But then the flip side of that is if you have 5,000, you know, uh, international students, and let's say those 5,000 are all paying $60,000 a year, cash on the barrelhead, you know, USC goes into the year with a whole lot of money in the bank. Uh, that makes a big difference to have all those, you know, international students. But to do that, you have to enlarge the uh, undergraduate student body, uh, you know, considerably. And that's what USC has chosen to do. And, uh, you know, people argue both sides of that, whether that was a good idea or, or not a good idea. But uh, USC, I'm guessing USC, of the really elite universities, USC probably has the largest undergraduate student body. I mean, you know, the Notre Dames and you know, Northwesterns and the schools that would be somewhat comparable, uh, the, the private schools, certainly, uh, Stanford, don't have anywhere near the number of undergrads that USC does. Yeah. That's all we got, Keely. All we got. We, we went pretty long today. That's pretty yeah. I mean, look, man, we uh lots of good questions, lots of good topics. Man, hour and a half. How the heck did that happen? I know. Off season podcast. Off season podcast. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, our Pac twelve podcast yesterday, like we didn't have any guests. It was just me and Dave, and we went over like two hours and fifteen minutes. It was wow. crazy. Yeah. Uh, but there was a lot of like topics people sent in and stuff. They know like the off season, they need to keep it going. That's I think our listeners do too. It's the off season. Send us some questions, you know, leave us a voicemail. If you leave us a little longer voicemail in the off season, we'll probably play it. You know, that was Curtis's was like almost two minutes. Like, yeah. What about basketball, Ryan? Is, are you? No, no? we talked baseball. Like, I don't, you know, it's, they gotta, they gotta finish above 500 for me to talk about them. You know, like this is not, I'm not gonna talk about, you know, if it's outside of football, you better be good. And they're not good. So. (laughs) Wow. They're not. True. True. Um, We'll see if they're good this year, but they're not. So, yeah, don't send in your basketball questions because I will ignore those. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up. Uh, that's uh, Sick Keely over there. Apologies for the coughing and sneezing no, and sniffles. We, we feel bad for keeping those on. Dan Weber, thanks again, Dan. Enjoyed it. Very good. Uh, another Again, questions going in all different directions, and that's great. Uh, it's not like the Pac-12 or USC have any problems to deal with right now that, uh, you know, we uh, – we talk about because I think we at least get the right questions, and we've always said that maybe that's some of the problem at the Pac-12 and USC. They're not even sure what the right questions are. Uh, it's really hard to come up with those answers, but uh, I think our questions are pretty good. Now, whether we're getting all the right answers, I don't know, but uh, yeah. I think we got good questions. And we, we will always answer your questions no matter what. You know, unlike the Larry Scotts or the Lynn Swans of the world, we'll, we'll, we'll sit here. We'll answer your questions. We'll throw the hardest ones that you got at us, and we'll make sure to do our very best to answer them. All right. Well, that's Dan Keeley. I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. 
This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.